The Start On Demand. On demand. New restrictions start on Wednesday in Manitoba and will last for four weeks. Is this going to be the final push? On the subject of those restrictions, a Winnipeg restaurant is stepping up to help other restaurants in food courts who have to close and might have a whole bunch of food go to waste. We'll speak to a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber who has donated his kidney to his dad and Hal Anderson on his birthday on Monday locked himself out of his truck for half an hour. So today, we heard lots of great stories from you on getting locked out. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, April 27th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Lots to discuss today on restrictions. Lots to discuss on vaccines and vaccines. I know Greg is probably very cranky this morning after the Winnipeg Jets got waxed by the Edmonton Oilers yesterday. Hi, Greg. Good morning, Brett. <laughs> The only good thing about the Jets' loss last night is that I didn't stay up to view it or listen to it. I turned it off after the first period, so how's that? I miss the days when I'd come into work and you could just sense the mood of everybody following a game, and Greg would either come in all, like, shaved and cologned up, like... (laughs) (laughs) And he'd have his Tim's tea and his little bagel, and he'd be chatting away, and he'd be like, oh, Jets Mm must have won last night. Or he'd come in and the boots would feel heavy. Just You could just... The mood was set, you know? (laughs) Something would be wrong with his steep tea, just day off to a bad start. (laughs) Tea's not steeped enough. Jets lost last night. They gave me coffee, not tea. Come on, man. (laughs) You know, at my age, I you know, I'll be 52 in a few weeks here. And um, when I was a little kid, the Winnipeg Jets were one of the best hockey teams on the planet. So I've lived and died with this hockey team quite literally over the last 40-something years of my life, 47 or so. And you would think that I would learn just to sort of not have it consume me so much. No such luck. I'm as passionate about it now as I think as I was when I was 12, 13, 25 years old. And uh, yeah, but, you know, one day it's supposed to be all worth it when they put it all together and win a championship. But anyway, yes, the the boots are a little heavy this morning, Loren, and I haven't had any tea yet. So that'll tell you how it's going so far. Yeah, a part of me wonders, and I've I saw this going around uh, social media over the past few days. You know, Shifley bench Saturday, and then Ealers out, and then the game last night, just six one in the end. I think it was. I don't know. McDavid had ninety seven goals to match his number, and oh it was too word. much. And then oh. some people thought, you know what? Maybe we're getting like the bad stuff out of the way, so that mm-hmm. we can have good stuff happen in the playoffs. Is that that's I've, one well, positive I've got some way to look at it. That. Okay, well, we'll get into them. That. All right, well, we'll share that those thoughts in our next segment, although I do just want to circle back to something. You, you mentioned your age and that you shouldn't be as consumed by that, but what does your age have? 
Like, why should your age stop you from enjoying sports? Like, I'm 43 and I'm a huge superhero nerd. Like, you're not, you're never too old to like what you like, man. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I just should learn for it not to be so impactful on my day because Loren is bang on. Like, if you weren't into sports and you just spend some time around me, you know exactly what happened in the in the in the world of my favorite teams just by being around me for 14 seconds at the beginning <laughs> of my day and you don't even have to look at the scoreboard or 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 check the internet or listen to sports at 6:25 like it's totally apparent and i just you would think i would have learned by now to yeah. not have it affect me the way it does i'm i'm, I'm grumpy and i'm kind of angry this morning and it, it is the jets fault I I had a memory pop up on my Facebook feed yesterday that said, off to the Jets game with my husband where he won't talk to me for the next four and a half hours. (laughs) (laughs) I started laughing. I I know I'm not alone. I was like, I "I don't miss that. Don't miss that. Uh, (laughs) I think it's just passion, Greg, and you're a passionate sports fan. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, you will hear it several times over the course of the morning. For the first time this season, the Winnipeg Jets have lost four games in a row, and they have now lost five games in a row to the Edmonton Oilers. Jets now find themselves looking up at the Oilers in the North Division standings. That the Jets have lost their best forward, Nikolai Ehlers, for the remainder of the regular season, and they have to play their last, they have had to pay play their past two games without Adam Lowry. That's, of course, the high-level stuff, Greg. If you're interested in why the Jets are where they are, we want to play some audio from forward Paul Stastny. In his second go-around with Winnipeg, he has played 993 NHL games. He has been a part of some pretty good teams over the past few years. Yes, and so his insight, I think, is valuable. Last Wednesday, Wednesday when Murad Atesh joined us, joined us on our Jets update segment, I broke down the math for the Jets and their consistency of their record. The Jets had been earning six to seven out of every 10 points available to them in almost every chunk of their season to that point. I asked Murat if that consistency was reflective or indicative of their actual level of play. So here is veteran Stastny following last night's 6-1 loss to the Oilers. In my view, his thoughts are as accurate as they are insightful. And it's not about the four-game lose streak. I think it's just it's the way we've been playing for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 games. And sometimes we got away with it. You know, and then when you get away with it, you think you're playing well, you're not playing well. And then sometimes Helly stood on his head and saved us. And some, you know, people don't notice that. But, you know, you're around a lot of teams who've been around the game for a while like I have. I can tell when we're playing good, we're not playing good. We have the bounces and we don't have the bounces. And, you know, tonight wasn't even half bad. I mean, the scorehouse was bad. But, like, if you look at the first half when it was, you know, 2 nothing or 3 nothing, we weren't playing that bad. A couple of bad, you know, turnovers or little mistakes, and they put them back in our net. But that's just a long time coming. And we left Helly out to dry, as we have a lot lately. So that's embarrassing on our behalf. And then, I mean, we got to take a look at ourselves and, and know what works and know what doesn't work. And kind of have a game plan and simplify it and, you know, get away from the whole plays, get away from trying to do too much, know who you're out there against, know who you're playing against. And if you have to adjust to certain guys, to certain teams, then you got to be willing to do that if we want to win. A long time coming. It stands out for me. A week ago, we were discussing, guys, a two-game showdown with the Maple Leafs for first place in the North Division. Today, the Jets are closer to fourth place than they are to first. 
Jets have eight games to sort this out if they have any designs on making any noise in the playoffs. This team has so much forward talent, as much as any team in the league in my estimation, and the defending Vesna Trophy winning goaltender. Counting on Connor Hellebuck to bail them out period after period may have worked for a big chunk of the season thus far, but it's clearly not the best plan to win one round of playoffs, never mind a championship. we got a lot to discuss here on restrictions, but I just want to read this text message quickly because it kind of ties in with what we are about to chat about. And this listener is asking to not name the, the listener, and you'll, you'll understand why. This person says, I have a suggestion for your question of the day sometime. What have you learned during this pandemic? I'll start. I've learned that there are more experts on viruses in my in-laws' family than the rest of the world. Dr. Fauci? Who dat? Get him out of the way so I can show him how things should be done. It's odd how someone who failed entry-level science knows so much more than all these doctors and experts with years and years of training and experience. Thank you very much for that. I had a, gr- a big laugh at that. And we need to laugh because, Greg, new restrictions go into effect at midnight. Yeah, and at some point today, we could hear how the province plans to strengthen enforcement around these restrictions, with many of you, including questions from reporters here at CGOB, wondering what, if any, tickets were handed out at that anti-mask, anti-restrictions rally over the weekend, Loren. So we're going to learn more on that later today, potentially for now. What we know is this. There's no changes really for schools, except for those seeing localized outbreaks. No real changes for kids' activity, except for outdoor sports. You can only have one spectator per child, one spectator per child at dance, theater, musical schools, hockey, etc. Status quo for gyms, except for they're now asking everybody uh, attending have that three meters of distancing. Retail stores and malls limited to 25% capacity. Uh, churches, faith-based gatherings limited to 25% or a maximum of 10 people. The biggest change, as we all know, no more gatherings. No visitors will be allowed at private households, indoors or outdoors. So no more gatherings at home with the exception of those who live alone, they can have one visitor. And then, of course, outdoor gatherings, up to 10 people will be allowed in public spaces only. Cases are increasing in most age groups, but are rapidly advancing in those in their 20s and 30s. Since last Friday, we've announced more than 700 cases. Starting Wednesday, all private gatherings are banned. No more visitors allowed at your home, indoors or outdoors, for at least the next four weeks. Visiting the, the sort of the uncontrolled um, uh, areas, that's where we're seeing the transmission. But you can still visit in outdoor public places and you can still see friends and family on a restaurant patio. The patios are very limited. They're also controlled. They're distanced. And those rules are easier to enforce. Premier Brian Pallister says that's being stepped up too. We've seen violations of public health orders too many times. We need to step up uh, again and we've got to step up harder. More boots on the ground, better oversight, better enforcement. So that was Global's Brittany Greenslade, that, obviously not at the end there. That was the premier of uh, the province of Manitoba. And Brittany was outlining some of the rationale behind the changes on social media. The rule many of you are questioning. In fact, I just got a very lengthy text message on my personal phone about this uh, in the last 10 minutes or so, is the patio rule. The fact that we can meet with people outside our household on a restaurant patio, but can't meet with them on our back deck or in our backyard, 
those questions had our colleague Steve Lambert of the Canadian Press on Twitter to, in his words, try and explain the province's thinking. Here's what he says. When asked today, Rusin said, Dr. Rusin said, part of the aim here is to make things more cut and dry. Five cars in your driveway, as of Wednesday, that will likely be a sign of health orders are being broken. Another reason mentioned in a previous lockdown is that if you have eight people in your backyard, someone will likely want to go inside, maybe use the washroom or to warm up or help you bring out snacks. The temptation is there to move indoors. He added, then there's contact tracing and surface cleaning, more formalized on a restaurant patio than at your home. With Steve writing, there are a couple of establishments with patios I go to regularly. They're great about distancing, taking contact info and cleaning. One thing I do is sit at a different table than my friends facing each other. His thread ends by saying the new health orders are aimed mostly at close, prolonged contact. Hosting a social gathering involves prolonged contact, usually quite close. And Loren, if I may add, if you're going to a restaurant, you might stay an hour. You might stay two, but you're not say, staying five or six hours. Yeah, and the more you maybe potentially have a drink at a home, say you uh, walk over there, you're, you're visiting with a neighbor down the street, the more, again, that odd that you might end up inside the home. We loosen our inhibitions, and next thing you know, you're saying, nah, forget it, let's just go inside, or I'll just go in to use the washroom. So I, I, I can appreciate the rationale, but Global's Joe Scarpelli went out to see how Manitobans are feeling and got mixed reviews. In the heart of one of the first identified coronavirus hot zones, word of the new public health orders spread fast. Like, um, under a house arrest or something, you know what I mean? Just not fair. Not fair, he says, of the new ban on indoor and outdoor visits between households. It's going to, you know, make some lonely times. The new rules are being viewed as a step back by some. But others argue the province didn't step back enough. I don't think there's enough being done. There's way too much... Wait and see. With increasing confusion focusing on why you can't go to someone's home, but... They still are allowing people to visit patios in close proximity. I can kind of understand it, but yeah, it does. there's a slight contradiction in there. Others are just fed up with the rule breakers. I'm tired of people kind of going against it. With the restrictions now, people have to follow them. Because the longer this drags on, the more divided some feel the community becomes. It's causing a lot of hostility within people and within families and relationships. Everyone needs to just take a break, like just relax, relax. At least for the next four weeks. With any luck, we'll get through this. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. So our question of the day at CJOB.com, which is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Are you okay with the new provincial restrictions? Yes or no? We've also put it up on Twitter, at 680CJOB, and on Instagram. We would love for you to follow us there. Hal Anderson, Hal Anderson 34 on Instagram. Spent half an hour of my birthday sitting on the end gate of my truck in a parking lot after locking the key inside. Thanks, CAA Manitoba, for helping him out. So, happy belated birthday to Hal Anderson. Sorry that happened to you. So, now we want to hear your 
locked out story. You ever locked yourself out of your vehicle? You ever locked your keys in the trunk or locked yourself out of your home? Or maybe you, you know, you left your swipe card inside at work and went outside and there was no one there to help you out. I don't know. Tell us your locked out story. Maybe you got locked out of your computer, whatever, whatever it is, share it with us. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win that $20 gift card. Santa Lucia pizza. Let's go around the horn here. Cam Poitras is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Fortier. Braun, why don't we start with you, sir? I've never locked myself out of my house, at least not yet, but I go for a walk every day and my, I, I keep touching the keys in my pocket to make sure they're there because one of these days they're going to fall out and it's going to be the worst day ever. But I did lock myself out of work once. It was a thing where I forgot my card at home and I was the first one there in the morning and I was just there's just no way to get in and obviously I was the first one there so there's no one inside to help me and I had nothing to do but sit on the curb and drink my morning coffee and listen to a podcast wait for Kelly Moore to show up and honestly it was like the 20 best work minutes of my life it was so relaxing I, I thought there's nothing I can do about it I might as well enjoy it good for you for being able to just say you know what I can't do anything about this so I'm just going to relax Poitras what about you uh yeah mine's also work related I was uh, working in Drayton Valley Alberta at 92.9 Big West Country there and uh, I was the first one in I was doing the morning show there and uh, I locked my keys in the house and uh, I first I had my work keys and my car keys separate so I was able to drive to work still um, but, uh, I, I, my, my, but my, my, it was, I just had a weird key arrangement that made no sense and it ended up screwing me. <laughs> and, um, and anyway, so I was, I didn't even, I was calling my, my program director. He didn't even wake up until seven thirty, So we didn't even get on the air until seven thirty for the radio station. Uh, cause I was just sitting outside and waiting for him to, to answer the phone so he could run and he just lived right across the street so he could run over and, and unlock the door for me. Uh, and I missed the birthday book. Heaven forbid you missed the birthday book oh, in Drayton no. Valley, and <laughs> all those uh, birthdays got missed, but we got it on the air. But, uh, yeah, it was it was just – I, I kind of dealt with it the same way Braun did. It was kind of like, you know, I can't do anything about it. I screwed up. I forgot – I locked my keys in my in my apartment, and what can you do about it? Forte. My first day ever working here, I forgot my keys. (laughs) I end up panicking and pressing the intercom thing outside of the building, and I end up phoning up to 99.1. I think it was Fresh at the time or Groove or whatever it was at the time, and uh, Lindsay came down and uh, helped me out. But my worst time ever getting locked out of my house, and I told the story before, was when I I was home alone living at my parents' place, and I was going to throw out a can... Uh, which the recycling bin was in the garage, and I was about to go for a shower, so I'm in my boxers, and I go out to the garage, and <laughs> I throw the can into the recycling bin, but I close the door behind me, which was locked. So now the spare key is in the backyard, in a lockbox in the backyard, so I'm in my gitch, and I'm opening up the garage door, and I'm picking my head out and making sure nobody's around, and then having to run to the backyard, grab the key, run back, just in my underwear. It was uh, traumatizing, actually. <laughs> Uh, we were the neighbors. <laughs> what about everyone? you, Loren? Uh, come on, you guys know me. There isn't a place I haven't locked myself out of. <laughs> not a single apartment, not a home, not a car, not a workplace, not a, nothing. I, I have locked myself out of so many places. I was on a first-name basis with the guy in Ottawa when I was living there. Hi, Loren. Locked your keys in your car again. And usually I'd do it while they were the car was running. So it just, no, I, I, I don't no story stands out because it's... It's like, it's like a daily, it's like a weekly occurrence. I have to be honest, now that I say that, it hasn't happened in a while. But 
It will again. <laughs> Such resolve. This is happening again. Yeah, Macklin. You got to own who you are, you know? <laughs> that's fight that's it? half the battle, isn't it? Is understanding and owning it. Um, I think I took making the best of a bad situation to a whole other level. Uh, not a podcast, but a, an overnight stay in a hotel. I was living with a buddy of mine. He was uh, here from Vancouver for about six, seven months. We, we had an apartment. And for whatever reason, I didn't have a key because we were always together. We got separated one night. He went home. It was quite late. Got home, knocking on the door, knocking on the door, nothing. So I don't know how, but I managed to get the mail slot, the metal part of the mail slot off of the door. And I reached in through the wooden, like the hole now in the wooden door, reached up, turned the doorknob, opened it. He had the door chained. Oh, no. <laughs> he was dead to the world. Did not hear a darn thing banging on the door, yelling at him. So um looked at my girlfriend at the time. I said, well, I guess we're staying in a hotel tonight. <laughs> we made the best of it. <laughs> so with that in mind, 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. Tell us your Locked out story for that chance to win, and we'll share your stories throughout the morning. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we're asking you to tell us your locked out stories for your chance to win a $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. Listen to this one. I got locked out of my car while out for ice cream. The car was unfortunately still running. I called a tow truck, but he could only come in 20 minutes, so I said okay, and I called another tow truck that was in the area that I saw while he was unlocking my car. The first tow truck that I called came and charged me just for having to come out without doing the work, so I had to pay double just to get my car unlocked. That's some expensive ice cream. No kidding. (laughs) Did did you see the text from Shannon that was uh, about, and I've kind of had this happen both in my car and home before. She said it was a Sunday. Her husband went to go golfing 30 minutes away. She says, I went to let our dog through the front door and I accidentally locked myself out of the front door with my two-year-old daughter inside. I had to run to the neighbors who I had never met before to use their phone to call my husband. Oh, I was also wearing my pajamas. The good thing was that we had no blinds installed yet, so I was able to watch my daughter through the front window while my neighbors tried to see if they could break in through the garage or open a window. My husband raced home in 20 minutes, and the neighbors eventually moved a few months later, so I never had to see them again. <laughs> yeah, that's a panic feeling. I've done that with my, my my oldest in the car when he was maybe a year old, and oh my lord. I don't know if you've seen that scene from Modern Family where Cam's like, ah! Break open the window! I gotta get in there! But that's how I felt. Like, must get in the car. Save child. Uh, do we have time for Brenda's? Because it's uh, sort of along the same lines. Yeah, do here. it. My son was eight months old having a nap, and I was making spaghetti sauce on the stove. I took the garbage to the lane, and when I got to the house, the door shut. And I was locked out. No hidden key, no cell phone. I was so scared and frantic. A baby alone, burning spaghetti sauce on the stove. What the heck was I going to do? My stepson was training at the Pan Am pool, so I waved down a car and asked a stranger to drive me to the pool. Wait till I got the stepson out of the pool to fetch his keys. The stranger took me home. The sauce hadn't burned and my son was still sleeping. OMG, I stress cried a long time after that. Thank you, Brenda. Holy smokes. 
Mackling McGarry and McNabb, just quickly checking in on the question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And the results are similar across the board, whether it is on Twitter, on Instagram, or cjob.com. Now at cjob.com, are you okay with the new provincial restrictions? We've got 53% who say no, 47% who say yes. And on Instagram, it's uh, 40 49% no. And then on Twitter, it's the other way. It's 51% who say yes. So that's a close race across the board. Weigh in at cjob.com or on Twitter or Instagram. And of course, you can text us at 204-780-6868. And on the subject of texts, Greg, was this you who highlighted this, as it's written, fab locked out text? I did from Don while driving home from Kelowna to Winnipeg. I decided to stop in Revelstoke and treat myself to a DQ cone. When I got back to the car, tried the handle to discover the door locked. The keys were laying on the front seat. After a moment of panic, I realized, hey, the sunroof is open. I approached a man having a treat with his three-year-old son. I asked, can I borrow your kid? <laughs> his expression was priceless until I explained why he lured him into the car much to the kids' protest, and soon I was on my way. The kids' very reluctant first Good Samaritan act. I wonder if the kid remembers that as his first, because uh, that would I would feel like that would have a secret thrill to it. You're never allowed to enter a car like that. Yeah, that's that that's that's fun. But what a, yeah. what an odd request. Hey, can I borrow your kid, ma'am? <laughs> May I please use your child for a moment? <laughs> or just a just a minor B and E I got going on here. So two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Text us your stories, your locked out stories for a chance to win twenty dollar gift card, Santa Lucia pizza, and just very quickly, Loren at eight zero seven. We want to have a conversation about languishing. Yeah, this is an article that came out about a week ago in the New York Times about languishing sort of being this uh, feeling that many are having. You're not depressed, but you're not rising to the occasion. You're not motivated. You're struggling. And so it's become this major feeling of this year. And we want to check in with people's mental health because as we enter this third lockdown of sorts, that's going to impact how people are feeling, how they feel about their interactions with others, their lack of interactions with others. And, you know, we've been talking about this for several days, if not weeks now, Brett, even on Friday when we talked about cooking and just the idea of I, I'm, I'm tapped out. Like I'm not motivated to cook something new. I, I now pick one task per day that I have to accomplish just to say that I did something, but I'm not motivated like I was a year ago. So if you're feeling blah, we want to hear from you at uh, just after eight. In the meantime, it's Tuesday just after 7.30, which means what, Jeff Fortier? It means breakfast with the bombers brought to you by the cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Our guest this morning is a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber who has done something incredibly special for his father. He spent five of his 10 seasons in the CFL with the Winnipeg Football Club in two separate stints. He's joining us this morning from Toronto, where he is recovering from surgery after giving his dad one of his kidneys. It's an incredible act of love, and I think it highlights the transformative medical procedures which can extend or even save the lives of those we love and save the lives of perfect strangers. Now, for this interview, Greg, our guests, agreed to join us under one condition. That's right. Mike Abumeshrek said he would be thrilled to join us as long as we let you know about signupforlife.ca, Manitoba's organ donation registry and portal. 
We are, of course, more than happy to share that information with our listeners, Mike. So we've done that. We'll do it again at the end of the segment. How are you feeling this morning? Um, it's full of ups and downs, and uh, I was good this morning. All about this pressure in, in, in my stomach, and every day is getting better. It's such an easy process, and uh, thanks for doing this. You guys were making me tear up. I didn't realize you were talking about me, a guy doing something special for his dad, all of a sudden. Like, who is this special guy? And you guys said my name, and I'm like, oh, me? Well, but, it is special. Uh, it, it, Go ahead, Mike. It, it is, but I mean, any, anybody can do it, you know, and, and um, it, it is special, I, I, I suppose, but it really wasn't a decision for me. You know, I was like, oh, what made you decide? Um, my dad needed help. Uh, I could help him. Um, so you do it. Um, and well, Mike, and um, sorry, I'm talking a lot. Go ahead. That's okay. You're not at all. I was just going to say, tell us about your dad and how you got there, because you say it's a decision anyone can do, but we know not everybody does do it. So I'd like to hear more about your dad and, and how that conversation came about where you said, hey, I'll, I'll put my hand up. I'll give you my kidney. Well, it, it, it all has to do with education. I mean, if you know about something, you can make a decision about it. Um, the, the problem is ignorance and, and not in a negative way, but uh, just you don't know about it. And a few, well, I guess a, a couple of decades ago, uh, while I was with the bombers, my ex-wife actually donated a kidney to her dad while we were together. And I'll never forget going into his surgery room, you know, minutes, not surgery room, the, the recovery room, like minutes after he, he, was, he came out of surgery. And man, looked like he just came back from Jamaica. You know, his eyes were like bright blue. Uh, the the whites of his eyes were white and not yellow. I, I had never met him. You know, I had met him only with uh, on dialysis and when his blood was poisoning himself. So, I, you know, the the man that I knew looked like this. And then I show up and I jump, almost jumped on his bed, giving him a big hug. And he's like, oh, I'm dying. You know, because what I saw didn't really match what was happening. And um, that one experience just didn't make, didn't make it a decision. When my dad needed a... When my dad needed a kidney, I was like, all right, let's go get tested. Like, he, he, he protested for about, like, a, a third of a second before I just, you know, I don't shut my dad up. My dad's a big, strong Lebanese man that would beat the crap out of, you know, everybody. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, no, shoot, because it's such, um, it's such an easy procedure. It's such a, 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 a thing to do. I mean, everybody should do it. If you knew how good, how much good you could do, you would do it. Mike, I, I noticed that uh, that Greg did not mention that you live in Regina or that you won the Great Cup in 2007 with Saskatchewan in a game against the Blue Bombers. Can you uh, talk about your time in Winnipeg? And I also, Greg wants to know, are you wearing a Blue Bomber shirt as agreed to? I was all excited. Oh, no, I'm <laughs> uh, not moving so well this morning. So, no, I'm still wearing whatever I wore last night. Um, time in Winnipeg, uh, uh, it, it's tough because living in Regina, I can't wear my Winnipeg gear as much. So you know, you kind of got to suppress it a little bit, but, uh, but uh, not uh, not too much. I got the best thing in the world out of Winnipeg, which is my daughter, um, and a football career. When no one else wanted to give me a chance, uh, Dave Ritchie and the Bombers were there, you know, twice. Um, so I got, I got, 
I don't want to say nothing but love. I got everything but love for, for the, the bombers, the, the city of Winnipeg. Um, they are, they're part of me, you know, they are part of my family. Uh, every Labor Day, my daughter dresses up in her gear and my son dresses up in the city that he was born. And we have, uh, we have our own Labor Day, you know, uh, because my son was born in Regina, my daughter born, born in Winnipeg. It's, uh, it's an awesome rivalry. Uh, sibling rivalry, if you will. And uh, I just got stuck in, in Regina because that's, let's put it, after 10 years, Winnipeg didn't want to give me a third go around. <laughs> so I uh, got stuck in Regina. I don't want to say stuck in Regina. Regina is a great place to live. Rider Nation has been super supportive, you know, um, and uh, it, it's a great place. It's a great place to live. But I'm not sure if I wanted to visit, but I digress. Hey Mike, um, and playing ask in that in that 2007 Grey Cup, that was, that was the highlight of my life. I had more friends on, you know, in blue and gold than I did in green and white. And uh, <laughs> you make me tear up here after after the riders won. I remember going across and just you know hugging Tommy Canada and Jerome and uh, Haywood and uh, just all the guys. Those are my those are those are my people, right? I'd only been with the riders for a few months, so uh, uh, I don't want to say it was bittersweet. It was way more sweet than bitter, but, um, uh, you know, seeing your buddies, uh, well, again, bittersweet. Seeing, beating your buddies is better than beating strangers, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the drought in Winnipeg. Um, well, I got to party last, last, well, last year, the year before last in Winnipeg. Um, again, I wasn't on the team, but I was there on the field and in the locker room jumping around with the boys and Foddy and everybody. Um, awesome. Football on the prairies is how it's, how it's supposed to be, how you're supposed to play it. Got to ask you very quickly here, Mike, uh, 17C, did you always have that same seat as a player? And did you legit get that by accident when you boarded the plane from Regina last week? Yeah, I'm not superstitious. I don't know what you're talking about. That's it's, it's scientific <laughs> evidence that when I sat in 17C, I had a we didn't always win, but I had a good game. I didn't get significantly hurt. Nobody died, and uh, you know you got to live another day, and that's what it was. Yeah, I got I got on 17C, and I was like, this is going to be a good trip. Well, and, Mike, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. We wish you and your dad a speedy recovery. Uh, we, an inspiring story. We really appreciate you taking the time to share it with us. Thank you. And if, any, if, if there's people listening, you can do this. It's, it's easy. I've been five days now. It's been, it hasn't been the greatest, but um, five days today I'm, I'm up. Uh, a, a week out of my life gave my dad another 10 years. Signupforlife.ca is the website. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This from the Twitter account of our next guest. Quote, one of the better influencer trends I've seen and done in a long time. Vaccine selfies. Or what did you call it, Brett? A vaxi? A vaxi. A vaxi. Susie Irzhevek Parker joins us to talk about the way social media is chronicling and perhaps influencing our move towards COVID-19 vaccinations. Social media has its downfall, Susie. We know that. And we've discussed the perils of Twitter and Facebook in particular with you in the past. Is social media actually doing some good here? 
Good morning. I think it is. I think you saw evidence of that all over your timelines in the last week or so. And I think, you know, there was there were some people who got to the point saying, I'm done with it. I don't need to see any more of your selfies, particularly the Gen Xers who were going for AstraZeneca like it was the hot concert item, Susie. But at the same time, I think people found whether it was hope or joy in that seeing some joy on social media, which can so often be riddled with vitriol, it was really nice. Yeah, it was for sure. And, you know, it's not to say that people who weren't getting their vaccine um, earlier weren't taking the pictures, but I think that the cohort of people who flooded the phone lines to get that um, vaccine appointment in the last couple of weeks for the AstraZeneca when they lowered the age was just so huge. And I think that it's one of those things that, you know, as Gen Xers, you know, as I posted last week when I booked mine, it's that, you know, we're the generation that drank out of a hose and played with lawn darts. Like, there's not much that we think can kill us at this point, so we're willing to take Whatever we can, we'll take whatever vaccine we can just to help everyone get back to some sense of normalcy and regular life. Do you think seeing this flood of vaccine selfies over the last couple of weeks might create a a fear of missing out, the FOMO, as they call it? You know, I don't know if it'll create a fear necessarily, but I think it might give people who might have vaccine hesitancy another opportunity to rethink their stance. And I've seen people, just anecdotally, this is not research or whatever, but anecdotally people say, you know, I was on the fence about it, but I saw so many of my friends getting it and I want to be with them. I want to be with my family. So I'm going to go get this done. So this sort of lends a little bit of credence to some of the publicity that's given when uh, high-profile politicians and and others uh, do something like this. It, it, it can have the benefit and it can lead others to taking action that perhaps they were, like you said, Susie, on the fence about. Yeah, and I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of public information campaigns out there from government, right, and from, you know, reliable resources. But I think that there's still a lot to be said for you seeing, you know, your childhood best friend, your high school best friend, your college, you know, buddies, those people, you know, signing up to get this vaccine and saying, you know what, let's hang out again soon because it might be safe for us to do so. And if we do this, that's one step closer to that. And I think that seeing that, like last week, we had a tweet from Erica M, who was like the queen of the of the Canadian Generation X, and Catherine McKenna from the Minister of uh, Infrastructure. And they were going back and forth on Twitter about how great it was to see people of our age going to sign up and get these vaccinations done. Like, those kinds of things give you a, a look into real life and people just kind of going, you know what, it's okay to be scared, but there's facts out there. You can go get your information and still sign up and get this shot done. Uh, Erica M, much music. I love that shout out there. On the flip side, I'm curious, Susie, before we let you go, is there a downside to some of this? You know, you might have people, it might encourage people to sign up. It might also be that place where people shame others for not quickly signing up. I haven't seen any of that. And I think that right now people are trying to be um, as compassionate as they can when it comes to people being, um, you know, hesitant, like I said. I think we have to realize that we're not going to push people to do something if they're afraid. So what we can do is talk to them in a kind way and say, you know what? And people have been posting their side effects as well. If you check out the hashtag AstraZeneca side effects, people are saying, you know what, two days? Yes, I was not feeling great, but now I'm feeling good. And this goes back to that virality point of it. You get people talking about it, get people sharing their real-life experiences, and people are saying, okay, it's not so bad, I don't have to be so scared, and I can do this. Susie Urjavec-Parker joining us live on 680 CJOB. Susie, a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you all.
Tackling McGarry McNabb. Before we introduce our next guest, another great story at 204-780-6868 on getting locked out. This listener says, I was on a first date and it wasn't going great. I promised to drop her off at her work in my truck and realized I locked the keys in my truck. I called CAA and we waited for the tow truck sitting on my tailgate. Well, as luck would have it, we struck up a conversation and ended the date on a high note. A couple of weeks later, I helped her move from her apartment with my truck. And then a couple of weeks later, we broke up. And it was at that point that I realized the relationship was only for the purpose of using my truck <gasps> to move. Well played. No. Well played indeed. He was used for the truck, Greg. Oh! It never happens. <laughs> oh gosh, that uh, I think that's why we got rid of our truck a few years ago. Too many requests to move. I know. I feel I I I feel bad for people with pickup trucks, and I feel bad because I am guilty as charged. I got a buddy, Mike. He's got a pickup truck, truck, and anytime I need help moving anything, he's the first person I call. Uh, <laughs> so I sort of feel like anybody with a pickup truck probably feels that pain. So if you feel that pain, let us know, 204-780-6868. And after Global News at 9 o'clock, by the way, one of the restrictions that was announced yesterday is that food courts have to close uh, as of tomorrow. So we're going to speak with one restaurateur who is stepping up and offering to help out those restaurants that have to close because they probably have a lot of food that's suddenly going to go to waste. In the meantime, almost 33% of Manitobans have now received at least one dose, Greg, of the COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, these doses, more than 429,000 of them have been handed out at a pop-up site or at a pharmacy or in super centers right across the province. It is both a massive and challenging undertaking, Loren McNabb. Yeah, and we know there's lots of people that go to that vaccine dashboard and check to see where we're at and how many are going out and wondering, are we doing it fast enough? And there's all sorts of questions about the logistics, but there's also a lot of uh, accolades that could be handed out to the people who are working at those sites in terms of not just the healthcare professionals, but people might not know that they're also manned by many volunteers. Our next guest is one of those volunteers, no medical brack. Round, just someone who wanted to help out. And we're pleased to welcome on our show this morning, Corey Quintain. Good morning, Corey. Good morning. Well, before we get to why you volunteered, what's your day job? Because I think your voice might be a bit familiar to our listeners as CGOB. <laughs> We've interviewed you from time to time. So first, before we get into the volunteer, what's your nine to five? Well, I'm a marketing manager for a couple of the shopping centers in the city. So yes, you've probably seen me around doing events and talking about uh, things like that around the city. And of course, our pumpkin carving contest at Kildonan Place. <laughs> Which is a super fun time. Uh, Greg and I, we put in our best effort, uh, but <laughs> there are some very talented people who participate in that. So we just got smoked. But in this particular case, why did you decide to step up and volunteer? Well, you know what? There are in this time of the pandemic, there's so many people that are wondering, what can I do to help? I feel helpless, you know, but here's one opportunity. It was presented to me and I'm like, this is a way I can make a difference. And it just it was something I could do just to help out and make you know feel better about getting to the next step in this pandemic. So, Corey, what are you doing at the RBC Supersite? Nice to hear your voice, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I've been uh, doing a few different things um, as a volunteer. I've been helping people find their seats, get seated, get ready for their vaccination. I was the last stop on the tour, as they said, for a couple of my shifts. And then another shift, I was honestly just uh, sanitizing people's hands with hand sanitizer as they uh, walked uh, up to me before the escalator at the convention center. 
We've heard from so many listeners over the past few months, Corey, just about that emotion that they might feel in the moment, whether it's at the pharmacy or at the super center. And sometimes, sometimes that's been anger, you know, potentially with long lineups. And sometimes it's been just pure relief or happiness, uh, the moment that it's there or that it's over. What kind of things have you seen along the way in terms of just people's attitudes and the general mood? You know what, just because this is a big step in uh, getting back to normal, so many people are so happy to be there. It's, you can see the smiles under the masks, and there's lots of laughs, too. You know, you always think of a vaccine super site as, you know, kind of a clinic-type atmosphere, but it's a jovial atmosphere. People are happy to be there, and uh, the system has been uh, finessed at the super site so well that it's quite a smooth process now. So we did want to ask you something personal. Um, can you tell us about your aunt? My aunt, yes, absolutely. Uh, I did have an aunt. Uh, she passed away in November 2011 at the age of 69. But as a young child, she was afflicted with polio. And, and uh, growing up, I always knew her. Uh, she was on crutches. Uh, she did survive as a child. But she had a physical disability for the rest of her life because of... Uh, of the polio, and if the vaccine had been available when she was a child, uh, that could have been prevented. So uh, to see her live her life as best she could, she had a great, full, wonderful life. Uh, just imagine the potential uh, with that vaccine if it had been available earlier is just, uh, I can't even think about that. I think those uh, correlations to times in history where either a vaccine has done some magical work or where it could have had it been discovered earlier, I, I think are things that we, we need to remind ourselves of without question, Corey. I just want to get back to just this joy that that you're seeing on people's face and, and seeing people express when they when they get vaccinated, because that was my experience on Friday as well, just that that sense that you know, there is so much hopelessness, but as you're stepping up as a volunteer, that's the other thing that we can do other than following restrictions and the guidelines that are laid out for us. Really, the, the best way out of this is eventually for almost all of us or most of us to get vaccinated. Absolutely. As soon as you're eligible, you know, get uh, the first vaccine that's uh, available to you. Uh, and if you're not sure if you're eligible, it never hurts to ask. It never hurts to check. There's the protectmb.com website or if you don't have access to the internet or you might not be as tech savvy, you know, ask a friend, ask a trusted relative going, can you check for me, you know, uh, because that's really important to get that information as soon as you can, because the sooner we uh, get uh, as many people possible vaccinated, the, the sooner we can get back to normal. Before we let you go, Corey, do you have any more shifts coming up? Is the volunteer time over or are you still head, <laughs> planning to head back there? Uh, nothing scheduled just yet, but uh, I'm definitely open to the option because, like I said, it is such a great opportunity to get out there and help make a difference in, in this world So uh, and help us get back to where, where we want to be. Corey Quintain joining us live on 680 CJOB, volunteer at the Vaccine Supersite. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this morning. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Have a great day. And let us know if you've got your vaccine scheduled. Have you had the shot? Uh, Gary, who texts us first thing in the morning, says he got his AstraZeneca shot yesterday. I was kind of hoping to develop some superpowers today. Hasn't happened just yet. So, <laughs> Gary, let us know if that ends up happening for you later this week. And uh, if you're not going to get vaccinated, feel free to tell us why as well. We can certainly have... It's not about judging or getting angry. We want to just hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, you have made it very difficult today. And that's a good thing. Very difficult to pick a winner at 204-780-6868. We're giving away a $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza, next segment, based on your stories of getting locked out from things. And the stories you are telling us this story this morning are amazing. So we are excited to share our winning text and a couple of runners-up in our next segment. But right now, we want to talk about how new restrictions, they go into effect at midnight, among the businesses likely breathing a sigh of relief, Greg, are restaurants. Yeah, there's really no change for most restaurants under these new pub- public health orders, with the exception of restaurants that operate inside food courts. Food courts inside malls have to close and stay closed, Loren, for the next four weeks. And that had the owner of another restaurant actually reaching out to offer some help. Ravi Rambaran is the owner of the Four Crowns restaurant. And when he heard food courts were closing, he took to social media to offer to help purchase any inventory they might have sitting there, fresh produce or meat that they can no longer sell. And Ravi joins us now. Good morning. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time and, and for all that you're offering this week. Before we get into what you're trying to do to help those those businesses, are you breathing a sigh of relief this morning? You, you must have felt that angst heading into 1230, wondering how restaurants were going to be impacted in this latest round of restrictions. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I, I was uh, I was very surprised to hear that news and, and good news for us. Anyways, yeah, I saw, um, I saw other restaurateurs uh, talking on Twitter saying I, they probably were hoping not to freak out on social media after. But yeah, they, that was one of the things that I was worried about too, right? Because I, on a personal level, I enjoy going to restaurants, but you guys have taken it on the chin for the last year. Yeah, we have. I mean, but I mean, we've changed too. Like, we've really spaced things out uh, more than necessary. And I mean, we're all concerned for all for, for our families too, right? So, um, I think it's in everyone's best interest just to play the game safely. Uh, and I think that's what I would say ninety nine percent of the restaurants are doing. So, Ravi, obviously, uh, in the food service industry, there are a variety of different supplies uh, that you need. Uh, Alcohol typically doesn't go bad, uh, although if you have uh, beer that's supplied by a local maker, it's got a a shelf life, of course. Uh, Frozen food can last a fairly long time if stored properly, but fresh food, vegetables, produce, that sort of stuff has a definite shelf life so talk about the offer that you've made to those operating restaurants and food courts yeah basically i just said hey if i can use your stuff i'll I'll happily buy it from you for uh for whatever you paid for it because if i if i uh i'm just gonna buy from a huge international food supplier i may as well buy it from my neighbor you know um and i really wish someone would have done that for me when when we first locked down but but we all locked down and now now a lot of us are left open so you know, if we can help each other out, that's the way to go. So you've made that offer. Have you heard from anyone or what's I what's have, next? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Tell us I, about it. I have. And I think uh, like the last I heard was that they weren't positive if they're going to be closed or if it's just the indoor seating that's going to be closed. So I think either way, it, like if the indoor seating is closed, they're pro- their sales probably, I'm going to guess, are going to reduce to at least half. Right. Um, but um but uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, if they uh, if they are closed, closed, then um, then yeah, no, I'd be happy to uh, to pick that up. And have any other restaurants sort of joined your your cause, so to speak, to to make this similar offer or to join forces yeah, with you? For sure. Like I've got a I've got a pretty strong network of, of restaurant owners uh, that I speak to often. 
Um, everyone's on board. I mean, who wouldn't help their neighbor? That's kind of what Winnipeg's all about, right? <laughs> it's, uh, we, we, the Winnipeg restaurant uh, industry is, is unbelievable like that. So, yeah, I've got a lot of people that, that message me and said, hey, if you can't use stuff, let me know. I'll buy it, you know. So it's uh, it's nice. And then the, and then the rest of it, like what we can't use, um, I personally work with uh, the Leftovers Foundation. Uh, Brandy there is a rock star, and she uh, she's happy to pick up uh, whatever people can't use and give them a charitable tax receipt for it too, I think. And um, and she she literally puts together packages of food and gives it to the homeless. Like, it's un- unreal. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a win-win situation. So t- tell us about the last few months and – you know, with spring, obviously, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster weather-wise. So you've got more than one operation. How are things going uh, at, at at the two uh, that no, the two operations that I know that you're involved in? Maybe you're involved in more. <laughs> I don't realize. Yeah, give us no, the, like, give us some background, here, Ravi. It, it's very very different times. Like uh, St. James Burger, for example, everything you know, we're delivering the food to the cars. Um, so we need extra staff to do that. Not a big deal, but, um, but people have been very supportive in, in any way they can. Um, at Four Crowns Restaurant, it's, uh, it's a lot slower than normal, and I totally understand why, but I'll take that over lockdown any day. Um, and, you know, it keeps my team employed, and, and people are, are very supportive of takeout too. Um, our city has really, really come together, and I think... Uh, there's uh, infamous, infamous publicist uh, Susie Parker, who's been so helpful to the restaurant industry, um, and uh, she's like she's put out the you know the hashtag support MB restaurants and and uh, got the billboards all over the place, and people have really been listening and helping. So it's uh, you know it's not where we'd like to be, but it's uh, but it's much better than lockdown, and um, we all understand that we you know we all need to sacrifice together to make this happen. Ravi, before we let you go. As soon as you said St. James Burger, I, of course, just had to go to the website to check out the menu and look at pictures. Uh, you have on there, all burgers come with chips unless you ask. Who doesn't want the chips? Um, yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> people ask like, at least twice a day. I don't want the fries. I don't want the fries. Like they don't want anything else in their place? They just want they no just fries? Want the burger. They just want the burger, yeah. Mm, they are big burgers. Like, to be, like, that's a lot of food, so I can understand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't mean and to take this off the rails, fried, but I right? thought, yeah. Well, I guess I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to know these people, Robbie. <laughs> They're nice people. They're nice people. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Rambaron is the owner of the Four Crowns Restaurant and St. James Burger on Ness. Uh, well, Laurent, he they brought in burgers and fries for us one and morning. It was delightful. I know. They, I think there was four or five different kinds of burgers, and that's why. What you know me? As soon as someone talks food, I go to the website. Then I'm on the menu. Then I'm dreaming about what I'm going to have for lunch. Wondering how long it's going to take me to get to St. James. Can I get there and back in time to pick up the kids? Blah blah blah. Yes. And then I saw this no the chip thing, yes. and I was like. <laughs> Hang on. I know we got important things to talk about. Why aren't you getting the chips? (laughs) Ravi, thank you so much for joining us and for for telling us about this initiative that you've started. You guys are awesome. I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much. (laughs) Ravi Rembaran, the owner of the Four Crowns Restaurant and, as mentioned, St. James Burger on Ness. You could Uh, get onion rings. Like, if you're going to replace it with something (laughs) on board. There you go. You're now just, you're talking you're just, my language. But you're just right saying, I mean, even fine, do a salad. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily get it, but I, I've done it. But you're getting nothing on the side. And the fries have some of the, I think you, I don't know if it's all of them, but they've got those uh, fries with cinnamon 
And oh, yeah. I, I thought, that's not going to work. And I was very pleasantly surprised to learn that not only does it work, but it works extremely well, Greg. That blew my mind when I, we tried those. Well, uh, I hate to uh, always be quoting Seinfeld, but he says that when you ask, what is, why does that taste so good? Inevitably, the magic ingredient is cinnamon. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, $20 gift card, Santa Lucia pizza up for grabs based on your locked out stories. Hal Anderson on his birthday yesterday got locked out of his truck for a half hour. He locked his keys inside the truck. So we have a runner-up text that Greg and I are going to split reading, and then Lorenz got the winning text. Kathy is our runner-up. Kathy painted a wonderful picture here. She says, my lockout story goes like this. We had just sold our country property and moved into a side-by-side rental in town. I was feeling kind of down about the whole thing, but I was trying to make the best of it. I went to the grocery store to pick up some food, and when I returned, I found myself locked out with no key. This was not helping my mood. I decided I would try breaking into the back bedroom. I found a five-gallon pail, a piece of wood, and a small pot and piled them up by the window. This ladder was very tippy, and it took a few tries, but I was able to open the window. But I am vertically challenged, so I had to jump high enough to lift my arms so that I could get a grip, Greg. So there I was, hanging there with my elbows bent on the window, trying to pull my torso over the windowsill. I managed to get that far when I felt someone staring at me. It was our little dog, just cocking her head sideways one way and then the other, wondering, what the heck is going on? What are you doing there, Mama? I looked down and saw that our daughter's bed was right below the window. So I took a deep breath and went head down on the bed, rolled over in a somersault onto the bed and landed on my feet on the floor i thought the landing must have looked epic our dog was wagging her tail at me at that point and happy that i'd figured out how to get back in the house i have never made that rookie mistake of forgetting my keys again thanks so much kathy what a wonderfully painted picture gymnastics involved in kathy's story but loren marilyn is the winner She texted to say, my husband's first time in Vegas, he had a little too much to drink. Half asleep, he went to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Instead of turning right after he was done and going back to bed, he turned left, opened the door, left the hotel room. (laughs) Normally, no problem, but he does not wear pajamas. So he was outside the room, no clothes on, right next to the elevator. He realized where he was and started to pound on the door. (laughs) This is where it gets good. I lay in bed giggling to myself because I knew what he had done. I let him sweat it out for a minute or two before I let him back in. Marilyn says that her husband contemplated ripping down the drapes near the elevator if it were to open up. What happens in Vegas doesn't always stay in Vegas. And for that, Marilyn is our winner. Marilyn, you devious woman. Congratulations. Uh, you win the $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. Thanks to all for sharing your amazing and hilarious stories and harrowing stories. As always, we appreciate it very, very much. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, in a couple of minutes' time, we're going to talk about small talk. Have we forgotten how to do it? And you could argue, Loren, that if we have forgotten to do it, Maybe it has to do with the fact that we just continue to languish through what feels like a never-ending story. 
yeah, we talked about that cycle where you're looking for some hope and you just when you get some, it kind of feels like it gets taken away from you, right? You, it's the, it's chronic. It's It keeps going on and on and on. And so you're trying to figure out how to get through this. And we mentioned that so many people are maybe feeling that is the dominant feeling. They might not be depressed, but you're you're not behaving the way you normally would. You're not being as motivated as you normally would. And we talked uh, after eight about this and about how we were feeling yesterday when we heard Dr. Rusin and Premier Brian Pallister lay out the restrictions. And Greg, at that time, you had mentioned about how there was also this idea that this is our light at the end of the tunnel, that there is the light at the end of the tunnel, that once we get through these four weeks, we should have another several hundred thousand people vaccinated and we should be able to start imagining a better summer ahead. But Lori texted to say, yeah, I didn't hear that part of the announcement yesterday, the positive parts. I just cried. I'm languishing, probably. Fourth grandchild due in three weeks to first-time parents. I just can't imagine not being there for them. I was up until 4 a.m. last night, again, so sick of worrying. All my positivity is gone. I hate the rule breakers. Shame on them. We all pay. And yeah, that's how many many people might be feeling about what's, what's next because you had these dates in your calendar where you thought, oh, you know, maybe May Long might have been it, or for Lori's case, the grandchild, or maybe you had a tournament you were hoping might happen, or an mm-hmm. event, or a trip, Greg. And it all just feels like that up in the air stuff is what's what's challenging right now. Well, if I can tie it into this whole notion of small talk, when you bump into someone, say you're out in the driveway, and I know I, I speak to my neighbors on a regular basis, and you know, what's your first question? It's how are you? And even when you're doing well, say you're having a great day or a great week, it's always relatively speaking there's always a qualifying statement that goes along with that. And typically I'm finding more and more people have to, they feel obligated somehow to slide in as well as can be expected. It's almost the, the go-to, it's the new, I'm fine, how are you? And it's unfortunate because I think we need positivity right now. And even when we're feeling it ourselves, we feel almost guilty, uh, might not be the right word, Brett, but we feel as though we've got to modify or temper down our enthusiasm on days when we're doing well. Am I overthinking that? No, you're not, because I know that last Monday when people would say, how's it going, as I was getting ready to leave work, it was the first time and I think a long time where I was actually able to just honestly say, I'm doing great, I'm going to get my vaccine today. This is not what I expected was going to happen when I woke up this morning. It was the first time in a while that I felt genuine joy and hope and optimism. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's that's always the joke. What are you doing this weekend? Not that you can do much anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I hear you, man. That's a thing. It's exhausting, right? And we're yes. in fortunate positions where we have to keep qualifying that too, right? Like we're, we continue to work. You know, I'm, I'm safe working from home. There's all sorts of positive things to keep reminding myself. But even, you know, because we know it can be so much worse and has been so much worse for other people. But you feel like you're always adding those qualifiers to Greg. You mentioned the idea that you're saying I'm good as can be expected or, you know, but I'm doing well because I'm lucky and it's true I am. Doesn't mean you don't get to have a bad day, though. And that's really hard. And I actually found myself a couple nights ago. Um, we were sitting, I think we were sitting on the couch and my husband brought out something that was COVID related. And I instantly just got teary and I said, you know what, can we just not right now? Like, I, I don't want to be like this person who's sticking my head in the sand and I'm not sitting here pretending like everything's perfect or that I have been perfect or things are, but I couldn't 
do it anymore. I did not want to talk about it a single second longer. I wanted something mindless and nonsense to fill that spot in my brain because I was done. Well, how about this then to fill that spot in your brain? Uh, so, do you like stuff? <laughs> the doctor said I wouldn't have so many nosebleeds if I kept my finger out of there. <laughs> well, here's my house. <laughs> Where did you get that recording of me trying to pick up women, Loren? <laughs> I have to say, I have a friend who posted to Facebook last night um, that she was heading into the office today and that that was going to be her. She was going to be Ralph being like, uh, do you like stuff? Because it had been so long since she had been, you know, around people that that awkwardness <laughs> that I think we've all felt. I know I have run into friends and just sort of like paused and not even spoke. Like I've kind of been not starstruck, like just struck by, oh, it's a person. And I think it's so-and-so, but I can't tell with the mask. Like, oh, hey, how are oh, you? Yes. Okay. Like I got to go. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like stuff. Don't look at Do me. You? Don't talk to me. I can't recognize you from your eyes. I, I know that I should know you and I know enough. Uh, I, was it Bo, uh, one of our colleagues uh, from one of our other uh, radio stations? I passed across paths with him at Safeway, and we don't necessarily know one another on a personal level, but we certainly know who one another are. And it took much longer than normal for both of us to realize we knew right away that we recognized one another, but who each other was. I think was escaping both of us for an extended amount of time. So that made it a little bit awkward. And I've had that happen a couple of times. But, you know, right about now, you're typically, you'd be asking people, so what have you got planned for the summer? Where are you off to? And you're just like, oh, what do I talk to you about? And <laughs> inevitably, you have to have this, like, obligatory conversation about COVID-19 and how it's treating you and you got to run through the whole roster. How's everybody doing and, and all that. And that's all great. It's all very kind. It's all very considerate. And I think it's genuine for the most part, but it's getting exhausting. And I think maybe we're getting really bad at the small talk. We're, we're just don't really know what to say. We're out, is it possible we're out of practice on that stuff too? Well, Loren, you found an article yesterday uh, from the Walrus. It's the headline, blah, blah, blah. The lack of small talk is breaking our brains. And it, I'll just read a quick chunk. It says, chit-chat is often dismissed as mindless and boring, but its absence over the past year is affecting you more than you think. I've always been bad at small talk. Two reasons. One of them is just social anxiety, and I'm super awkward and nervous. And two, uh, I actually kind of find some small talk to be mindless and boring. Like to the point where I just have no use for it. I can only talk about the weather so often before I just want to not do it at all. Like just, I'll just, I'd rather not do any small talk. If I have to pick silence over small talk, I'll sometimes happily choose the silence. But I, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, when golf courses reopened and I went to golfing, I think three days in a row, I was so exhausted, not from the physical component, but the mental component of just being around people and having to carry multiple conversations for the first time in over six months, I guess, like basically all winter, uh, it was just draining. So yeah, like that part of my brain has uh, disconnected itself and needs to figure out how to work again, Loren. Because nothing is organic anymore. And I can't believe I just used that word because it bugs me. <laughs> 
yes. you can take that offline later. <laughs> I also hate that. Oh, but, boy. But you're not running into people like you were. Like, I'm not at work, right? And so I'm not going down the hallway and just casually saying, oh, can I talk to you for a second? I need to t- touch base with you about that event that we're virtually emceeing or that this or that. And now you have these scheduled meetings. And so it starts off with a specific time and a specific purpose. And so then even when you're in those virtual meetings, you feel like, can I make a joke here? Like, I want to point out so-and-so's crazy beard or whatever. And it feels, it just, it's all, it, it all, I feel like I'm constantly saying, sorry about that. That came at a weird time or that was not where I should have dropped in, but I've lost practice, I guess. And I used Is to it- love, I was the opposite, Brett. I loved, I loved random elevator encounters and sort of that whole like, oh, how, go oh, bombers, eh? You like the bombers? You know, it just, well, you're wearing the bombers sweater. No, you don't like the bombers? Okay. I don't know why you got that sweater on. Like I loved having <laughs> small talk like that. Yeah, and we're out of practice, and it feels as though most of our interactions are scheduled, whether they're face-to-face or online in a Zoom or a Teams meeting or something, and so there's an agenda, typically, like when people are popping over, quote-unquote, it's like, um, I'm, we're going to bring, like, uh, Jackie's mom and dad, they haven't been inside our house in like a year, and they dropped off some pierogies for us a few weeks ago. My father-in-law making pierogies. That's the hilarious part of that story. I, I wish you all knew him the way I did. The fact that he's doing that. But then they draw, you know, they, and so they pull up to the driveway. It's like a drug deal. They, they pull up, they roll down the window. They kind of stick the pierogies out the window and then everybody stands back and they stay in their vehicle. You have a, a chit chat and you know that the clock is ticking sort of from the get go because you've got one foot in the door, uh, figuratively, and one foot out of the door. And, you know, so that whole spontaneity and that whole avenue of conversation that you would normally have, and you feel like you got to make the best of it, and you got to make sure you cover all the bases. Brett, I'm exhausted thinking about your exhaustion on the <laughs> golf course from trying to do all that. <laughs> I've started to work through that part at least. Uh, but yeah, the, the small talk, I've never been good at that. So Loren, perhaps you'll have to give me a clinic on that one day when Just you say do come whatever random thing comes to your m- mind. That's how I like to live. Yeah. Oh, high heels, eh? I like high heels. Like just, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm Whatever scared, comes out of your mouth. I'm scared that the random things that pop into my head, though, might get me locked up <laughs> if I start saying them out loud. <laughs> start small. Oh. Say them to yourself first. Yes, right. practice them in, a, in front of the mirror. But that's the problem. I, well, that's why one of the reasons I'm bad at small talk is I overthink everything. I'm like, is this a good thing to say? I don't really know what to say. I sort, I sort of feel like... If I could find that, that <laughs> balance, that medium where I do just blurt out whatever comes to mind, as long as it's not horrifically offensive. Oh, this is some green grass we got going on out here. Check out those trees <laughs> really blowing in the wind, you know, like just well, that's a lot of wind. Hey, you ever seen this much wind? (laughs) The opposite. Yes, Yes. I should do the opposite of what my brain tells me. Okay, maybe one day I will try that. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.